Hey there, to celebrate reaching 100 episodes on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, we have hand-selected the key highlights from 2021 and put them together in this mashup. This will feature our best episodes from the podcast, so make sure to tune in, and if you have any questions, like always, email us at jacketpreparelikeapro.com. Here we go. We now have the high-performance manager's experience at the AFL level. Here are some gems provided from these guests hope you enjoy and a similar question when it comes to prevention so for for young developing footballers out there that maybe don't have a strength and conditioning coach what would be um what would be your top three things that you think are really important for for footballers to make sure they're doing uh, developing footballers oh. doesn't have to be training three, but just some, yeah uh, consistency important. is key consistency is key um yeah. So, you know, maintaining uh, consistent uh, running exposure, consistent high speed and sprint running exposure, but also making sure you have consistent skill exposure. Uh, I think sometimes we can get caught up in, I need to get fitter, so I'm just going to run. But making sure that you're exposed to the skill development aspect is, is key from an injury prevention perspective. I think the research is pretty clear that uh, there are a couple of, of valuable exercises if you if you don't have um, strength and conditioning uh, advice that you know performing a, a Nordic once a week performing some adductor um, strength Copenhagens or or other variations once a week uh, can have a, a benefit on maintaining tissue resilience from a cultural point of view. Um... You know, whether it be leader, you know, managing your performance team uh, and also players, coaches, the whole cohort, um, what are some important things when you when you go into a new club that you that you personally focus on? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, you have to provide an environment that they feel safe in, and 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 again, there is a lot out on that. Um, the athletes have to feel safe, but the but the support staff and the people you're working with have to feel safe. So, again, this whole, you know, you're doing it my way is not the way yeah. to go. It, it's, it's, it, it's the education piece, as in this is how I see it, this is how I view it, what do you think, what are you going to bring to the table? What's a good way to get into um, your Bachelor of Exercise Science and, and how do you start working with athletes in the sporting environment? A good pathway, if you didn't get a good uh, ATAR score, to get into a Bachelor of Exercise Science is actually the Certificate 3 or 4 at Victoria University. Uh, we're actually yep. a direct pathway, and that's the course I coordinate, Certificate 3 and 4 at Victoria University. We're actually a direct pathway into um, exercise science at Victoria University. I think it actually gives uh, the student up to seven courses they can get direct entry into, and we're currently okay. working on the new structure to actually get the students' credit transfer uh, transfers. So that's one way of getting into uh, exercise science degree. Um, another way is, yeah, just find a course that's suitable for you not all courses would be suitable. Enroll, again, buy in. Me personally, I always say that working as a personal trainer while studying is always going to be beneficial because you're getting that industry experience, you're getting that coaching experience, and you can actually begin to implement things you're learning in class. So one of the best things I was, uh, I was able to do was sit in the classroom for three hours or do a practical on campus for three hours and leave that, drive straight to a session and implement something new for a client. They loved it. I loved it because I was able to reinforce my learning immediately. If we move on to the gym side of things, what, 
for those that are maybe following what their brother does or they're following what their sister does because they're a bit older, um, how should a footballer be doing um, their weight session? What, what are some sort of key pillars in, in the strength running? Um, yeah. Well, so what we've just already covered is that we know that with football, you're going to be you're going to be running a lot, you're going to be running fast a lot, and you're going to be changing direction a lot. So, um, to firstly cover off on that stuff, you need to make sure you've got really strong uh, hips, glutes, and hamstrings, basically. So you'll notice a lot of footballers' programs and uh, sort of they've got a lot of what we call posterior chain work. So sort of everything from your your heels up to your glutes, and that includes obviously your calves and your hamstrings and everything in there. Uh, and it needs to be trained in a way that you sort of um, making sure that you're protecting yourself and preparing yourself for that sort of volume of high speed running. Uh, then what we want to do is make sure that you get really nice and strong so that you're prepared to not just tolerate that amount of change of direction, but really thrive in those environments. In terms of the actual strength sessions, do you tend to focus if you're limited with times and the amount of sessions do you have? Um, are you focusing more on compound sort of movements? Are you focusing more on like injury prevention sort of movements or, you know, a bit of a mix of everything? Yeah, so for, a, for an AFL player, I would definitely have um, a couple of big rocks that you're really focusing on. So um, your main leg lift, which um, my, I would advocate is just whatever you feel most comfortable loading up with so you can actually get a really good force production stimulus. So whether that's a, a box squat or some sort of squat variation, whether it's a trap bar deadlift, whether it's a, some sort of split squat variation, any variation that you're um, you're comfortable that you're going to load up on and actually get a decent stimulus out of it. Um, make sure that you're getting some sort of eccentric hamstring loading. So um, both hip and knee base. So whether you go an RDL and a Nordic or um, an eccentric leg curl, a weighted slider curl, something like that. Now hear from our medical practitioners or from AFL experience head physios, physiotherapists, those that have worked in a rehab coordinator role, and sports doctors. So make sure to tune in, and I hope you enjoy. Well, what's your best preventions for, for shin splints? Yeah, so I think with shin splints, you need a probably the load is, is one of the big things. How quickly have you ramped up your loading, um, making sure that it's a nice, uh, nice kind of clever progression. You're not doing too hard too soon. Um, I think some of the running surfaces that you're on are important. Um, and then just making sure you've got enough capacity in your calf and through the front of the shin to, to cope with some of the loads that's what's going to put it in, um, kind of tolerate. Um, but so, so maybe more on the strengthening side than the stretching, but, you know, stretching is going to help you as well. Good have good mobility yeah. if you've got a stiff foot. When you're taking on um, a new athlete that you may not have worked before in a, in a rehab sense, um, how do you go about building rapport and, and building that buy-in, that trust? Uh, yeah. Early days, what what are some of your big yeah. focuses? I think you know, you've probably ticked off the two things I'd probably love to talk about is trust and respect. Um, I think they're the biggest things you need before you start throwing them, throwing things at them. And this is a process, obviously. You know, in the rehab, like a long term rehab realm or short term, whatever it is. Um, you know, like I said before, that they've basically put their trees or injuries in your hands. So you want to build those trust. And you know, I think initially it's about being black and white, honest, sitting down, talking timelines, um, setting expectations is really important, you know, when you sit down with the athlete, um, not being fluff. And like all rehab, you know, we've all seen that rehab graph. It never, it's never a nice real straight line. It's ups and downs and mm -hmm. there's highs and lows. But I think um, they're the 
big important parts. And I think most importantly, I think, you know, you've got to stop treating all of them like footballers. Treat them like, you know, teenagers and adults. They're also people. Like, I think they'll be get caught up on tucking our shirt in and chucking, um, you know, the textbook at them and um, this is what we're doing and this is what the science says. And I think, you know, you'll get nowhere because you won't get buying. If you start off like that, you're definitely not going to buy in. If we had a really minimal budget, what do you reckon or what would you recommend as some of the key sort of equipment to include? From an upper body point of view, the work that I've, I've seen in the, in the gymnastics world, apart from a chin-up bar and a set of rings, you can scale um, upper body strength um, to any level you like, really. So um, I, I can appreciate that you're not pushing, pushing the heavy weights on the bench or with dumbbells, but if you're getting guys building up to um, one-arm strength work in, in pushing, I think that, that suffice um, in the football world um, and, and with the pulling base work as well, like building up towards sort of one-arm chin kind of work as well. Um, so I don't think you need too many, um, uh, yeah, too much of an, an equipment arsenal for upper body. And from lower body, I think I still think the barbell's probably king. And so um, if you've got barbell or an ability to have a squat rack, I think from there you've you've got lots of things. If not, even any kind of, of weighted work like a kettlebell becomes very multi-purpose in that space. How often would you recommend a development athlete to try something and then reflect on it and recognize, okay, that's not, I'm going to bin that one and I'm going to move on to the next one? Is it three times? Is there, is there a certain number or, do you, or is another one of those ones that's sort of once you get it a couple of goes and then go off your gut feeling? Yeah, I think your gut feeling will tell you quite a bit, but probably the main thing with that is you only try one thing new at a time. So don't try ice baths and a bike ride because if you get worse, you don't know which one does or makes you worse. So if you're nailing your sleep and you're nailing your nutrition and then you want to add other things in or take them out, just do one at a time so you know, right, this works for me or this doesn't work for me. And once you know it does or doesn't, then maybe you can try something extra. Do you ever lie to a player regarding the injury to change their mentality about it? <laughs> oh, that, that's a that's a great question. It's a probably a loaded question. Um, I, I think some of your mess your messaging is really important. Um, well, um, I don't think you ever actively lie, but you might paint a slightly um, more favourable version of the truth. Um, yeah, and I, I suppose at the end of the day, like if your intention is good and you're genuinely doing, trying to do the best thing for the athlete, um, look, it may be you're sort of hosing down some anxieties or, um, you know, some, some, um, some fear avoidance behaviours or, you know, even just a, a player's mindset. Um, if you're trying to just nudge that, then, you know, I think you can craft versions of the truth. Um, but I don't think you, you would ever blatantly lie, lie to the athlete. Here we have a range of development AFL experience coaches, head coaches, as well as those that have worked at state league level. So make sure to tune in and hear from the different coaches and highlights from 2021. For those that want to improve their intensity to match their match intensity, what would be an example of a chat that you'd have with a player to to do that? Um, uh, I guess from... uh, I, I use... 
objective information um, as much as I can. And in the early days, that was video. So there might be a, uh, in footy, it might be a turnover and you're just jogging back um, and you just show that to the players and you might show them and I've recorded stuff from TV. So in the, in the early days when I was with the Swans and, you know, West Coast were pretty successful. And then when I was with Port and, um, you know, Hawthorne were pretty successful, um, you would often show them the clips of the good players and this is what they do. Um, both defensive and offensive. Um, nowadays, I can use GPS and I can show them, okay, uh, to use Melbourne Demons, Ed Langdon does. This is why he's um, so incredible and just turns up in, in defensive 50 all the time to help out our defenders. Um, and I can just show them the, the GPS trace um, and GPS numbers for someone like him. And, and we post them all so the players all know Um so, it, it, you know, there's no hiding now. So, yeah, in terms of training intensity, uh, the players get all that information so they know if they're close to matching. We rank them so they know where they sit. Like, take us into a little bit of, the, of how you prepare and, and, and get better over, to, over your career. There's probably a different... There's a few facets to it. Um, I guess you have a, a fitness and preparation um, goal in mind and then you also have a football one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have, you know, for example, that now that I'm starting to realise it more is you have, you know, a, a, a mental health one. Um, so for me, in terms of my physical preparation, it was all around my running capacity. You know, I didn't have the strongest running. You know, I wasn't at the front in my 2K time trials or, um, you know, I wasn't the quickest or anything like that. But my focus was is I wanted to be running with the midfielders. You know, even though I was a defender, um, I wanted to be running with them and being as fit as I could. So I'd you know, do some extra work throughout the week. So extra cardio sessions. So that would be, uh, you know, bike. Um, I remember doing some boxing sessions with you, mate, during the week. Um, yeah, if you remember them on a, on a Wednesday. Um, so that was something that I could do off legs to improve my fitness. Yeah. Um, and then I'd have a football one. So, you know, um, yeah, that would be position specific and it, would also be, you know, related to my areas of deficiency. So things that I would work on during the week that were related to the upcoming game or um, related to, you know, my own personal game that I would work on throughout the week. And then, you know, having something to switch off from football. So, um, you know, catching up with mates for dinner or, um, you know, listening to podcasts, watching movies, um, you know, studying. You know, I was working at the time and I studied a, a Bachelor of Exercise, Sports Science and Sports Management. And so... Um, trying to balance it all out. We're in the off-season, pre-season now. Uh, you mentioned training starts on, on Thursday. Um, what are some important in pillars for, for a team to start to gel and connect over a pre-season, do you think? Yeah, well, obviously you have to build that sort of trust. And I suppose looking at it from an athlete point of view, some of those big, you know, the big sessions that you do when you, you know everybody's trying their guts out, I think, and you can see everyone's exhausted. You're like, yeah, I know that these people are going to have my back on game day because we're all chipping in 110% here. You know, we're all going back and doing our weights after. We're all going back and doing recovery, whatever that looks like for different people. It's obviously different for everybody, but knowing that people are doing that. Um, so that starts to build that trust. Then you just have conversations with people. You just be human um, and talk about human things and not always football. Um yeah. And I definitely think that helps. I suppose, yeah, at Subi, what we're going to try and really focus on from a coaching point of view is making sure everybody understands 
what we're trying to do as a game plan because we've tinkered a few little things up and make sure it's really clear and nice and simple for everybody to understand and then allow the girls to then educate each other because I think that really helps. I find it difficult to get distance slash power if my set routine is straight, like you were talking about before. How do you get power without wheeling around to the side? Yeah, and, and that's a great question, and we get that you know quite a quite a bit as well in terms of that power, in terms of that distance. It may not be a set shot, but that's a you know that power and distance is a is a big question that we get asked. And momentum, yeah, through the ball. Um, so everything going towards a target because you've got momentum through the ball, you are going to get that impact. There's probably no question that you probably do generate a little bit more power from going out to the side. But what you do do is you decrease the accuracy because there are extra variables that you get you have to get right. So whenever you then increase these variables under pressure in a game situation, your percentage of getting it right lowers. So my then question to players is, you know, we can work on getting that extra distance, but if if it means then compromising your accuracy as well, which would you rather? Would you rather hit four out of 10 and kick 50 metres or would you rather kick seven or eight out of 10 and, and kick 47, 48 metres? You know, it's only a couple of metres difference. As your career's grown, you've you've built a strong network. Um, how does it? How do you go about building that form of a relationship? Is it is it the same as making a mate, or is it a bit different when you've when you're built, forming a, a sort of mentor relationship? Um, I'd say it's a, it's a little bit different. In the sense, it's, uh, some of them the sessions are uh, were paid for. So Neil, I paid for his time yeah. because I you know needed a, a service. Gener- generally from him so it was going to him talking about certain topics um and yeah he charged for his time because that's only fair really yeah and same as some of the others like if you're sharing all that noise that they put years of time and effort and um they've done all the work to get there then i didn't mind paying for, for time with people yeah but then i know some some uh, people don't, some people do, but I don't mind investing myself if it's going to make me better. So yeah. I'll go and seek out good people and people that I think are going to help me get to where I need to go. And if I need to invest in myself, then that's what you need to do. Now we have the highlights from sports psychologists and sports dietitians, all work that at least at state league level or the Australian AFL elite level. So make sure to tune in if you want to up your nutrition game or mental preparation. Hope you enjoy. The ones that want to put on muscle really quickly and uh, and bulk up. How do you uh, you know what's the best way to to go about that for, for young developing athletes that need to put on critical mass? Yeah, look, there's you know obviously a few ways to to go about it. Like education is is key. Um, not just telling them what to eat, but showing them how to eat. So I know that you've had Simone Austin on here and, you know, she spoke a lot about cooking classes. So there's a lot of that. Um, It's not just, Mm -hmm. it's called procedural knowledge, which is the ability to apply what you've learned. Um, But then I also talked to them a lot about the best way to put on weight. And look, AFL preseason, it's pretty hard to put on a significant amount of weight because of the amount of Ks that they're clocking up um, and the amount of output. But I do talk to them about their body and, and how it's going to develop because, you know, men in particular, you know, they're, they're developing up until 21, 22 years of age. So, like, depending where they're at from a hormone profile will really depend on potentially how much weight they'll put on. And I like to talk to them about their house being, or their body being a house. So their muscles are the bricks. 
and the cement is the connective tissues, the tendons and the ligaments. And, you know, just because the bricks, we can maybe put on a bit of weight and get them big and strong. But if these connective tissues don't have that ability to, to move with it, that can present a lot of problems. What type of snacks would be a good example for, to like you said, that if they're busy and they're moving from house sports to um, afternoon sport and, and that, so they're on the go, what would be sort of your ideal snacks to pack? Um, um, muesli bars, you know, Carmen's protein bars, um, nut bars, up and goes, anything like that to have in the bag, you know, snack like nut packs. There are so many options out there that you can get at the supermarket now. Um, yeah. You know, my, I suppose my advice for, you know, school-aged versus footy, like AFL mm-hmm. is probably a little bit different in terms of, mm-hmm. At AFL level, we've got to be really careful of the types of now functional foods that have protein added to them. We need to be very aware of that in terms of um, of wider band substances. But, yep. you know, for at school level, not as much. Um, just choosing really good quality products that are easily available in the supermarket, things like Carmen's, really easily, easy Uncle Toby's. You know, you can't really go wrong with brands like that would be some pretty common things that you see in footballers, uh, certainly developing footballers as well? Yeah, um, again, great question. I mean, a lot of developing footballers, um, one of the things that, that they, as I say, our draftees, uh, is that we need to get a fair bit of lean mass on them. So yep. those first couple of years is a, is a real focus on gaining that lean mass. And, and for some people, some players that come in, it's around actually needing to gain the size and the mass, others, they may have the mass that we just need to lean it up a little bit. So there's a couple of different sort of situations. But the key principle is that we always say you need consistent protein and of high quality. And the one thing I see in, you know, young footballers um, is that, you know, they might have some wheat bits for breakfast and a sandwich for lunch with some, you know, muesli bars and fruit in between. Um, and the real hit of protein doesn't come in until dinner. Is there a role in nutrition for injury management uh, and or prevention for, for footballers? Yeah, so obviously the collagen space is a big one. So collagen um, is the most prominent uh, protein in your body. So it's in skin, it's in bone, um, it's, you know, um, yeah, as I said, connective tissues. So it's in all of your, your body's tissues. So, um, you know, potentially there's a role with collagen supplementation um, with injury prevention. Um, and then obviously you, your bodies are made, you know, we eat, we need to eat to survive. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, if you don't eat, your body's going to break down. So if you don't have good nutrition, um, you, your body's going to break down or you're not going to be optimizing those, that tissue integrity. So it's kind of, it's something that athletes will often roll their eyes at dietitians when we say, you know, eat good diet quality, because it's kind of like eats you fruits and veggies and, you know, you, you dairy and all these kind of food, food groups, but there's a a good impact in terms of injury prevention in that because you're providing your body with everything it needs to make cr- like strong rigid tissues so if you think of bone muscle connective tissue yeah so there's definitely um definitely a role in terms of that when you're dealing with trauma what what are some good things to do in, when it comes to self-care and look all the really simple basic things of of health um so you know doing your best to to eat even when you don't feel like eating, um, you know, you, you, you're stressed, you know, you lose your appetite, um, sleep. I, I'm a meditator, so um, 
you know, when you're busy and thinking and caring about everybody else, they're the kind of things that sort of slip off your radar. So um, I was really conscious just when I had a little window, for instance, with, with Phil's passing where I would switch the phone off for a little bit. Um, I would try and do my meditation in the morning, a little bit of exercise. You know, I, I like going for a run and that's quite a, a de-stressing thing for me, get out and sort of nature and do a, a nice little run or something. Here are the highlights from all the AFL players that we interviewed, whether it be mature age recruits, up-and-coming potential AFL stars or current AFL stars in the game. So you get a wide variety of all different perspectives from an AFL player. So make sure to tune in and I hope you enjoy. Leading up to the game, like the the two hours before a game, do you do anything different to get you in that space of the, the, the strength and power? Yeah, there's little things that I do that I learnt uh, over there. Um, initially, like I said before, like when you're a young player, you're sort of just so overwhelmed that you're playing an AFL game and you're, you're not really thinking about what's going to help you or, you know, what something that might switch you on before a game. It's more just like, all right, I'll just do what he's doing and, you know, I might just cruise and then we'll run out and play. So for me, I like to do a lot of hand-eye coordination stuff as you know, science um, these days is is big and you see a lot of NFL players these days doing a lot of reaction stuff. And we've got a, a cool little screen at the club now where it's re- reactive and you react to the buttons and you've got to you get get the high score. Um, it's obviously competitive because a lot of boys love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's something that I do. Um, yeah, and then as for pre-game stuff, it's, it's hard because you can't really get the weights room in there at Marvel stadium or the MCG. So it's, you just got to find little things that uh, you might be able to bring a dumbbell or two and, and change it up a little bit every now and then. What, what are some things that you can do to improve your, your confidence that you wish you, you had those tools when you were younger? Um, the things I would say is just, is, is try not have that fear of fear of judgment, um, fear of making mistakes because it's the best way that you learn and the more you learn and, and gain knowledge and experience, the more confident you're going to become one of, um, I guess the one, one person that influenced me a lot throughout my career was Ross Lyon. And he used to always say confidence comes from action. And I, I used to think about it a lot and it's just so true. You, you, if I can give the example of say goal kicking, you're going to be more confident going out and having a set on set shot on goal on the weekend. If you've, if you've put through 20 set shots during the week, then if you've done nothing. And so it comes from action, getting to work and repetition and practice. And, and that will help with confidence massively. I'm pretty shocking for nerves before a game. So is there anything that you do to sort of, sort of get the nerves out of the way for a big game? Good on you, Lucas, mate. Thank you for that question. Good to see you there. Um, I don't know, man. Like my brother always said it too. When it comes to big occasion, I was always there and producing my best. Even as a junior athlete, every time I went to big champs or national champs, I always somehow produced my personal best at those times. I think I thrived on the big occasion. In terms of nervous, probably the most nervous I ever was was the grand final, AFL grand final, where I felt like almost like I just had no energy walking into that ground at MCG. Luckily, I had a good mate, Ange Christou, who was a larrikin. He, he was a complete opposite of me. He, he had to be, like, free. And so he didn't want to overthink about the game. I had to be there. I had to visualise the game. I had to make sure that this mind was spot on. And then uh, I remember just having a bit of a kick and a bit of a laugh with him. And as soon as I started to laugh, or whatever, I just relaxed that little bit more. So don't ever put pressure. 
whatever the outcome is, it is. And if you put too much pressure on yourself, you usually, the, the game's really hard. But if you go there and say, mate, I'm just going to tackle, I'm going to chase, I'm going to hit him hard, and you do all those little things, the rest of it unfolds. And if it's not your day, it's not your day. What would be a typical week for you? Like, what would your, what would your focus be earlier in the week? And I know it would be recovery, but what was yeah. your fa- favourite form of recovery, mental and physical? And then how, with your main session of the week, how would you go about that? And then, um, you know, lead into like the day before a game as well. So like sort of like your, a brief synopsis on your weekly preparation for a game. Yeah, so let's say you play Saturday. Yeah, as you mentioned, the recovery is huge. Everyone talks about it. Um, it's just getting more and more and more. So I love doing an ice bath just to try and get that extra advantage. Um, you know, as sore as you were and as cold as it is, and, and if you played really poor and if your team lost, it's, it's no easy. But um, I felt like that was a really good starting point to go, okay, get this, just get it done because you know you need to get it done. And that would be a clear mindset, okay, okay the game's done. You know, tomorrow's Sunday, have your rest day, do your recovery. And then Monday, ooh, Monday at the time would have been just a quick little flush, some massage. And then from now, when I, probably now is the time where, you know, the, the, the review meetings get done. So you call it Monday, get a review meeting. Um, a lot of nervous energy, depending on how you went and how the <laughs> team went. Um, anxiety would start to creep in. But, um, Try and just take it, take it for what it is, and you know, try and learn it and get the best out of um, the situation. So, always going with a positive mind, saying, "What can I do better? How can yep. I get better? Um, what do I need to work on?" And early days when you're first exposed to, like you mentioned, the, the mindfulness training, um, did you find it overwhelming? Well, like you said, you hadn't been exposed to it in junior days, and and for the first six years, was it quite hard to transfer it into your normal routine, or did it, or did it just resonate with you straight away? How, has, for someone who hasn't done it, that's listening and is interested, obviously hearing it from yourself that it was effective. Um, yeah. How did you come to integrating it in, and to make it work for yourself? Yeah. Well, my first like um, opinion on yeah, like a psychologist at the football club was like, you know, you're only going there if you've got mental health problems or you're mentally weak. Yeah. And it, you know, like. We know that that's wrong, but you, everyone kind of thought that at the time and, you know, like the mentally tough players just get on with it and mm-hmm. suppress and compartmentalize their issues in order to perform. And we know now that that's, you know, that really detrimental um, to your mental health. 